0: Hey guys, Dr. Childs here. Today, we're gonna be talking about foods to avoid if you have Graves' disease. Now, Graves' disease is the autoimmune thyroid condition which results in hyperthyroidism, and it has a number of triggers, and included in those triggers would be certain foods and potentially diet and things like that, so that's why this is important. However, when we talk about Graves' disease, I need to make a distinction, and that is, this information, the foods to avoid list that I'm about to talk about, is really only important for those people who have active Graves disease. And what I mean by active Graves disease would be those people who still have a thyroid and who are taking anti-thyroid medication. If you have if you were taking anti-thyroid medication previously and you haven't had your thyroid removed or ablated, you still fit into this category by the way. Not included in this category include those people who had Graves disease but had a treatment for that Graves' disease, such as radioactive iodine ablation, which we call RAI, or complete surgical removal of the thyroid. If you have undergone these procedures, then you no longer have Graves' disease, right? You've cured the problem essentially, but you've caused other problems. And so your dietary, uh, the foods that you'd want to avoid and eat and consume, et cetera, those are different from the first group of people that I mentioned. So if you have active Graves' disease, if you are taking an antithyroid medication, this information is for you. Why does it matter? Here's why, it's actually very easy. Now, when you get diagnosed with Graves' disease, your doctor will almost always put you on an anti-thyroid medication, usually methimazole if you're in the United States. If you're in another country, it will be known by a different name, but it works basically the same way. It works by blocking thyroid function. Now, this medication is actually very harmful for the body, so it cannot be used long-term. And the reason your doctor puts you on methimazole instead of just yanking your thyroid out or destroying it with radioactive iodine, which you want to avoid if at all possible, by the way, your doctor knows that a certain percentage of those people who have Graves will have a spontaneous remission, all right? And it's somewhere between 10 and 20% of people who have Graves' disease. They just get remission. Uh, they go into remission and they don't really know why. So the doctor puts you on methimazole, suppresses your thyroid for usually a couple years, and then some percentage of those people will, no long, once they get taken off methimazole, will not have Graves' anymore and they won't have to get their thyroid removed or ablated, okay? Now, you as a patient who's listening to this, you should, you should your ear should perk up because understanding this gives you the potential opportunity to help improve your odds that you are one of those people that when you get pulled off methimazole, you no longer need it anymore, all right? And so the foods that we're gonna be talking about can potentially help that go along. There's also a lot of other therapies that you can uh, utilize as well, supplements and, and uh, lifestyle changes and so on, which can help with this but I want you to understand that's why this matters. That's why you should care. And also, you really just don't want to make your disease worse, right? Why would you consume a food if you know that it might make your disease process worse? So let's talk about these foods to avoid. So number one, we have gluten. All right. Now I should say this too, by the way, I'm going to be referencing another thyroid disease as we talk about these foods. And that disease is Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Hashimoto's thyroiditis is another autoimmune thyroid disease. And it's really kind of just the opposite of Graves' disease, but they are—they the they have a lot of similarities between them. These two um, disease states, right? A lot of the same triggers, a lot of the same treatments, um, and so on. A lot of the same things that treat Hashimoto's will help with Graves, and vice versa. Now, it isn't universally true, but you'll hear me mention Hashimoto's because we have some extra information that we can take from those people who have Hashimoto's and apply it to Graves as well. So this is this uh, ties in with gluten here. So we have studies which show that when gluten is removed from the diet, the symptoms of Graves' disease and thyroid function tests improve. Okay, so they get better, right? So that's number one. So taking away gluten um, by itself is enough to improve the state of hyperthyroidism in certain patients with Graves'. It doesn't say every patient, but it does help in some patients. Now, why is this? Well, gluten is a pretty inflammatory compound, right? And it does a couple things inside of the gut, which can lead to inflammation, which may impair your immune system. And remember, Graves' disease is an autoimmune disease, right? Which means it is a disease of the immune system. So anything you can do to prevent or avoid that dysfunction from occurring may help the underlying disease process. Gluten does this through a number of ways. So gluten by itself um, can damage the the lining of your gut such that it will allow things to pass through it that shouldn't be passing through it. And these things can get inside your body and your immune system can look at them and identify them. And it can kind of trick your immune system into thinking that whatever floated through your gut, your gut wall looks similar to something like, let's say your thyroid, or let's say I'm um, another part of your body. And that's why gluten is associated with the um, the triggering of certain autoimmune diseases. And that's through a, through a process called molecular mimicry. But in addition, we have we have other studies which show that gluten by itself just seems to be inflammatory to the The gut wall and the gut lining itself as well so there's two potential reasons to avoid gluten if you have grave disease and this also applies by the way to those people who have hashimoto's thyroiditis so number one food to avoid if you have graves is gluten now number two we're going to get into some different types of food here and i'm going to say number two would be you want to at least be aware of common food allergens. So what happens in the state of Graves' disease is that you have more histamine being produced by your body by virtue of the underlying process of hyperthyroidism and excess thyroid production. Histamine is something that um, can become that is reactive and can become triggered by certain foods and that gives you those allergies and that gives you those food sensitivities. Now because you have more histamine floating around you're going to be in a heightened sense or a heightened uh, state compared to other people who don't have as much histamine, which means you will be more reactive to even foods, which normal people may not be reactive to. So in the case of common food allergens, this includes things like milk, eggs, peanuts, soy, wheat, tree nuts. And in the family of tree nuts, we have Brazil nuts, almonds, cashews, macadamia nuts, pistachio, pistachios, etc as well as shellfish. So these are the common food allergens that just people have problems with in general, not those with Graves, but just people have problems with these food groups. But because you have Graves' disease and you have more histamine, you're more likely to be triggered by these food groups. Now I've already listed, by the way, if you remember, I said you want to avoid gluten and so wheat is on this list, so you want to avoid avoid wheat anyway. Um, And we're going to be talking about another one, which would be milk. So this food groups or this list of allergens to avoid, this food group of allergens to avoid is a good thing to reference. And if you have Graves' disease and if you've known to have, and if you were known to have reactions to any of these food groups, keep that in mind and avoid them. And in fact, you might still be able to consume some of them, but cut down the amount that you're consuming it maybe to just a couple times per week instead of daily. So for instance, if you could have peanuts before um, and you used to eat peanuts or peanut butter every single day, maybe it's a good idea to slow down how much you're easy eating uh, peanuts or how frequently you're eating peanuts to so maybe a couple times per week or once or twice per week so you don't accidentally sensitize your body and develop an allergy where you didn't have one originally or exacerbate an existing allergy or food allergen that you used to have. So that's number two. Number three would be dairy products. Now, remember, in number two, I mentioned that one of the common food allergens is milk, right? Which is a dairy product. But now, number three, we're talking about dairy products in general. So here's several reasons why you want to avoid... Um, dairy products and one of those has to do with hashimoto's thyroiditis that i mentioned previously so we know from some studies um, that patients who have hashimoto's thyroiditis which remember is like graves disease but not the same but it is similar in the sense that it's an autoimmune disease that affects your thyroid so we have hashimoto's patients who have avoided dairy products who see an improvement in their thyroid lab tests and a reduction in thyroid antibodies just like i said previously when talking about gluten we have those studies which show that graves disease patients who avoid gluten they see an improvement in thyroid antibodies um, and thyroid lab tests as well. And that's also true of Hashimoto's patients. So we can take what we've learned from Hashimoto's patients and apply it to those who have Graves' disease. And we also know that dairy can cause problems in a number of ways. So number one would be through the lactose, which is the milk sugar found inside of many dairy products. Now, lactose concentration varies depending on what type of dairy product we're talking about here. Um, So it may not be as important as you might think. And people will say, oh, okay, well, what happens if I get lactose-free milk or something like that? That, it's not always, um, that's not always going to work for, for reasons I'll mention in just a minute, so just keep that in the back of your mind if you're thinking about it. But what we do know is that it, some people, in fact, not some, but a lot of people, they have problems in processing that milk sugar, lactose, and it leads to inflammation in the gut, um, indigestion, bloating, cramping, stomach pain, and so on. We don't have any studies which link um, lactose intolerance to immune dysfunction. But from an intuitive standpoint, it makes sense that putting something inside of your body which causes that inflammation, which causes that discomfort, is probably not a good thing for the gut and probably leads to inflammation downstream. But again, we don't have studies which link those two things together. But another thing that we do know is that if you, so in response to the the people that might be asking themselves, well, what happens if I just avoid um, lactose and I reduce the amount of lactose I'm consuming, won't that be okay? Well, not necessarily. And that's because there's other subfractions inside dairy that might also cause problems. And so like lactose may cause problems, which is the sugar. There are also protein components such as casein, which may cause problems as well. So even if you're reacting to the, if you're not reactive to the lactose, you might still be reacting to the casein and vice versa. So it might switch between the milk sugars um, or the milk proteins, but there are a lot of people who just seem to react in some way to these milk products, whether it's the proteins or whether it's um, the sugars themselves, such that it's usually just a good idea to avoid dairy in general. And remember, the goal here is not that these foods are necessarily um, harming your body, but the goal here is that you want to get rid of these foods so that you can improve your chances of getting off of that methimazole and not requiring the thyroidectomy or radioactive iodine ablation that is looking that you're looking down the road at in the future. You want to do everything that you can to avoid that process. So number four would be foods high in iodine. Now, iodine is something that a lot of patients with hyperthyroidism are told to, to avoid completely. Now you don't have to avoid it completely because you do need iodine. Your body still needs iodine, right? And you might become, you might deplete it and other cells outside of your thyroid still require iodine. I have videos on this topic, which go into detail about it. And by the way, you're still getting iodine from other sources, but what you do want to be careful of is consuming foods, which have excessively high doses of iodine or foods in which the iodine content is hard to calculate. So what do I mean? So certain foods, especially seaweed, have really high um, iodine, or they have really have a high, or they have a high concentration of iodine per gram or per unit of food um, in, in pretty much all types of seaweed. Not only that, they are also have varying degrees of iodine found in each type of seaweed. That makes it very difficult for you, as a patient with Graves' disease, to determine exactly how much iodine you are consuming, and it makes it easier to consume too much accidentally. So that's really why you want to be aware of these types of foods. So seaweed has a high iodine content. Um, Certain fish have high uh, amounts of iodine found inside them. And another source, which you may not be aware of would be iodized salt. So salt has, um, it has been fortified with iodine to prevent goiters, right? That's the reason that we add iodine into salt. However, a lot of people aren't aware that their, their salt may have this iodine content in it. And so if you're not keeping track of the various sources of iodine that are coming into your diet, you may be accidentally taking too much as a patient with Graves' disease. So keep that in mind. Try to keep you know, a, you know a rough estimate of how much iodine you're consuming each and every day and keep that low, not zero, but low. Okay. So that's sort of the idea here. And you can do that a lot easier if you simply avoid these sources, which have exorbitantly high amounts of iodine in them. Number five would be any source of caffeine. And I'm going to include in here as well, really any stimulant. So the most coffee bean, of course, or the most common bean, of course, coffee, uh, teas, except for herbal teas, herbal teas generally do not have um, any uh, caffeine content in them. Um, And other herbal products such as mate and guarana, these all have a stimulatory effect. And I'm going to include in here as well, other prescription medications, which also might be stimulatory in nature. So ADD medications or anything that helps with focus um, and things like that. So you want to avoid these things because your body is already in a state of heightened uh, awareness. It's in a state of heightened um, stimulation from Graves. And if you do anything which can tip that scale even a little bit further, it might make the condition worse. So you want to avoid any sort of stimulant Uh, Which, as I mentioned before, that includes caffeine, coffee, um, anything that really has any sort of stimulatory effect in the body and including prescription medication. Next on the list would be refined sugar. Now specifically, I'm talking about sugars here, refined sugars, and not carbohydrates in general. Now, if you're getting your carbohydrates from food sources, such as fruits and vegetables, yes, they will be broken down by the body into sugars at some point, but these are completely different in terms of their impact on your body. So why would you want to re- avoid refined sources of sugar? It's actually pretty simple. So. Graves, patients with Graves disease have, they have an increased propensity to develop something called insulin resistance. And that's because of how the thyroid dysfunction, the excess thyroid hormone inside of the body makes insulin resistance more likely to occur. So they are more sensitive to developing this condition. And this is the condition which can be triggered by excessively high consumption of sugar products. And it also is the underlying disease process, which um, allows for the development of type two diabetes. So if you are a great patient with Graves' disease and you are consuming even, let's say a normal amount of sugar, you're already gonna be more sensitive to developing insulin resistance, which may lead to high blood sugars and diabetes, type two diabetes down the road. So you want to be very careful and cautious about the type and the content and the quality of the sugars that you are producing or that you are consuming. Try to get your, uh, your sugars from full complex carbohydrates including food sources and avoid them avoid sources of sugar such as refined sugar which has been added to foods especially processed foods which we're going to be talking about in just a second Number seven would be industrial seed oils. Now these are synonymous, sort of, uh, I would say, by most people, um, with vegetable oils. So vegetable oils has been a ploy, a uh, marketing ploy, in which people try to convince you, especially those man- those people that manufacture the vegetable oils, they try to convince you that it's somehow healthy because they were maybe consumed or uh, created through a vegetable through a vegetable in some way. But that really isn't the case. In fact, they may have started out in some way through vegetables, uh, but they undergo a m- many different steps and sometimes as many as 18 or 20 different chemical processes and steps in order to get to where they are now. And the result is something that's inflammatory and damaging to the body. So you do want to be avoiding these industrial seed oils. Now they are commonly found with number eight, and that is processed food with preservatives, because there's one thing about these preserve, these uh, industrial seed oils, and that is that they are very, very cheap. They also add extra flavor. So what you'll see is these food manufacturers, they will combine refined sugar with industrial seed oils, such as canola canola oil and safflower oil and so on. They combine these two things together because they are cheap and they add flavor, right? You're getting the flavor from the sugar and the flavor from the fat, and they're jam-packing into things like pizza and spaghetti sauce and peanut butter and everything you can think of. Now, that's easy for them, and it may make them a lot of money, but it's bad for you, right? It's bad for you as a patient with Graves' disease because these things add inflammation into your body, which may negatively impact your immune system. So you do want to be avoiding processed foods. I probably don't need to convince you that that's the case. I probably don't need to convince you that you should be you know, opting for natural, healthy sources of oils, such as Um, extra virgin olive oil and coconut oil instead of things like canola oil. Um, If that's news to you, well, then I'm glad to have given you that news, but I've talked about it previously um, in other videos on why these things are so potentially damaging and why they're inflammatory to the body. So avoid processed foods, refined sugars, and industrial seed oils. And these things tend to come in a package, right? So it's just better to make your food um, from the most basic ingredients when at all possible. Now, number nine is alcohol. Now, I've included alcohol here uh, for a couple reasons. So there's one thing that I do want to point out, and that is that alcohol... Well, there are some studies which show that mild to moderate consumption of alcohol may be associated with a reduction in the risk of developing Graves' disease. But once you have Graves' disease, um, that's a completely different story. And I actually am a little skeptical about those studies in general anyway. Um, But once you have it, that information is largely irrelevant because the difference between you taking something before you have it and you doing something after you have a disease, these are two completely different things. Now, in the case of somebody who has Graves' disease, alcohol should definitely be avoided, and here's why. So number one, we have the fact, or we know the fact that alcohol requires processing and metabolizing inside of the liver. Now, patients who have Graves' disease, They have a lot of extra production of things going on in their body by virtue of that hyperthyroid state. So they have extra thyroid hormone being produced. They have extra proteins being produced, being produced. They have all sorts of extra things going on in the body because the body is revved up. So all these things are working over time, to produce more things, right? Whatever the body is producing, you're producing more of it when you have hyperthyroidism. Now, all of these extra things that you're producing must be metabolized and eliminated inside of the liver. So you can imagine that your liver is already being taxed and weighed down by the extra work that your thyroid is putting on it. Now, if you consume some alcohol, you're putting extra, extra work on top of the extra work that it already has. So if you can avoid damaging or, or potentially causing problems in the liver, by with the foods that you can avoid, in this case, alcohol, it will, it will ease the process and, and the, um, the amount of work that your liver has to do to detoxify and clear and get rid of all these this extra uh, these extra things that your thyroid is helping to produce. So it is very important to avoid alcohol. My recommendation is to avoid it 100%. Um, your mileage may vary, so it's up to you, but I would recommend you avoid it 100%. Um, now, I would also consider that alcohol is really a dose-dependent toxin. Um, it really is a to- considered to be a toxin inside the body. Um, so keep that in mind as well when you consider whether or not alcohol is worth consuming in your case. So remember, this all of this information applies to people who have Graves' disease, but those people who, have, um, who are taking methimazole or who have what I consider to be active Graves' disease right? If you are somebody who has had your thyroid ablated or removed, you used to have graves. You no longer have graves. And the information and the diet and the things that you would want to do are different from those that I'm talking about here. Now, if you do end up following this information, it's certainly not going to be harmful to you. Like this information is not bad, um, you know, for for really anyone, um, but there is more specific information relative to you if you have had your thyroid removed or ablated. So if you have any questions, leave them in the comments below. I'll do my best to get to those. And if you haven't already, make sure that you download my free thyroid PDF resources. I have tons of information, all designed to help thyroid patients like you feel better. That's my goal. Um, So that's what I try to do. So that's all I have for you guys. And otherwise, I'll see you in the next one.